This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. What is racism? We should ask that question. We should force people who want to talk about it to answer it. We should all be quite clear on this, right? What is the definition of racism? Because I think while the left has certainly gone out of its way to expand the definition of racism substantially to include things that no reasonable person would would think is actually that, uh, and this is through talking about systemic racism and a system of white supremacy and all these things we, we hear from the racial Marxists, people that seek to divide us, to exacerbate what separates us instead of trying to bring us together as Americans as, and as human beings. Uh, but, but we should at least all be able to agree on the most baseline understanding of what racism is in America. If we're going to have to talk about it all the time, and it's never enough, you'll notice, we always have to have a conversation about race the moment the left says we should because we haven't done nearly enough and it's not moving in the right direction. And, you know, what was it? Uh, the former attorney general under the Obama administration, Eric Holder, said we are cowards when it comes to conversations about race. So you better talk about it when the left says it's time and you better nod your head, bend the knee and agree or else they're going to come after you. As you know, uh, they're going to say that you are racist. And this is one of the most useful terms. This is one of the best ways that the left Uh, One of the most effective ways the left has to undermine and and attack people. You just say that and and you're covered with this this stench of badness, this immorality, this you're a bad person, even if there's no basis for the claim whatsoever. So it's a very powerful weapon, as you know. But isn't it fair to say that racism is when you judge somebody by the color of their skin? Or when you treat somebody differently because of the color of their skin. When you take away from someone, when you harm someone for their immutable, superficial characteristics, which is what race comes down to. Doesn't matter, doesn't change who a person is. And yet the left insists that it does matter a lot. You just have to make it matter in the ways that they say. Now, this is this is a fundamental disconnect in how our society sees this on the left they really do believe in practicing forms of racism just only in ways that are prescribed conservatives approach this and say you should never treat somebody differently on the basis of skin color you should never make these distinctions about individuals we're all uh, god's children we're all equal in the eyes of the law in our dignity and you 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 understand this is very clear but not to leftists, not today. Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago. That's why I'm talking to you about this. It's almost like she's running an experiment here to see how much racism, if you are on the left, if you're a Democrat, and in Lori Lightfoot's case, a black woman who's also a member of the LGBTQ plus community, can you explicitly say I'm going to, as a public official, give something of value to people who are black or brown and explicitly deny it to people who are not in those 
racial categorizations. And I'm not even going to get into how racial categorizations are so often vague and and uh, unclear as to be absurd. Right. I mean, this is where you get into, Okay, is someone a a quote brown journalist? And again, I'm using the terms of the left. I'm using Lori Lightfoot's own terminology. Is someone a brown journalist if they are half Cuban? No. Where do we draw the line? Are they are they a brown journalist if they are a quarter? You know, if one of their grandparents was from Puerto Rico, does that make you qualify as a brown? Well, it, but if, what if your last name is, you know, Hernandez or Rodriguez or whatever? Does that you see? This is why we don't make these distinctions about our fellow human beings. This is why the only ethical approach is to just treat everybody like a person, like a human, and to be decent and respectful to each other and not make any choice or decision about or about a person based upon skin color, period. There's a principle at work here. Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of the third largest city in Chicago, has decided that that principle is open for, well, I would say not just debate, but manipulation. And she has said that she will only grant interviews to black or brown journalists. Only in-person interviews for black or brown journalists. Now, anyone on the left who thinks that this is okay should then have to explain, would it be also okay if Joe Biden said that he will only grant interviews to black or brown journalists in person? How do you think the press corps would react to that, the national press corps? Why wouldn't that be okay? Clearly, clearly would get uh, get attention. People would be a problem. Oh, so is it because there's a different standard because Lightfoot is a a black female member of the LGBTQ plus community? So then the principle does not apply anymore about treating people equally uh, and not discriminating on the basis of race. Now, this is a this is an important case study in the leftist mind. This really matters. You can see that there's a problem here and you can see that under any normal circumstances in America, Today, this would be considered way beyond the pale. And yet here we are. This came to be a national news story this week. Oh, I'm going to get into why in a minute. Don't think I'm not aware that this is entirely a calculated decision by Lori Lightfoot, who is an incompetent, who is awful at her job. And so when people are bad at their job, they look for a way to distract from that. And you know, sure enough, here we are. You know, pulling a Kaepernick, if you will, focusing on social justice issues instead of are you good at this thing that you are paid and elevated to do? So that's what's really happening here. I'll get into that in a moment. But Lightfoot, this came this came to uh, public attention this week, the mayor of Chicago. And here she is saying, no, no, I'm this is real. I'm not giving interviews to people who are journalists in person. Right now, at least for the for the foreseeable future, unless they are black or brown, that is the rule. Play eight. It's way past time for the City Hall press corps and the people that do the hiring and make the decisions to get the memo. We are in a time where we're having a powerful and important conversation around systemic racism in every institution. And it, the press and the media can't be exempt from that conversation. Press and the media can't be exempt from it. The press and the media are obsessed with it. We all know that. 
Turn on CNN. What is the national media's favorite news story to run? White cop involved in lethal force incident with young black man. That is the, the press will will run that story all day long, all across the country. And they'll always insinuate that it looks like it might be racism. And then when in a vast majority of the cases that have come to national prominence recently, we end up seeing, oh, the cops begged the guy to show his hands, tried to use a taser, weren't able to subdue him. He went for a cop's gun. It's all on video, you know, whatever the case may be. But the clear justified use of force, the media just moves on to the next one. Move on. They just move on to the next house to burn it down. They don't care. It doesn't matter to them that it was unjust, that it was wrong, because this is about creating a perception in the public. This is instilling a narrative in people's minds that is useful to people who have a certain philosophy of American life and that also in, enhances their power. That's all this is really about. That's what they do. Now, for Lori Lightfoot, Chicago is incredibly violent uh, these days, as you uh, may already have seen in various news reports. There's a lot of shootings going on. This is a city that is on a downward trajectory, and Lightfoot has not been able to handle this well. You had 40 community groups and unions uh, that gathered in just the last uh, 24 hours. They gathered and marched in the city. All different community organizers, people from lots of different backgrounds, members of the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, Asian Americans Advancing Justice, all marching because Lightfoot is bad at her job. It's not doing a good job with the city of Chicago. So what does she do? She tries to play a race card here, but to do so in a way where she's just straight up telling everybody, I'm going to engage in what I think is good racism, and that will make this a better city, a fairer place, a fairer country. And this is why uh, you cannot trust our national media to be honest about these things. You have to fight against this complete repudiation of basic principle. That's where the left has gone at this point. Can we agree with them on what constitutes racism? Can you sit down now with a social justice Democrat leftist and say, all right, first principles here. Let, let's get down to basics. Can we just agree that a person's race does not determine anything about them and they should not be treated differently in any way under the law or just in our interactions as people because of the race? Can we just agree on that, that we are all equal, we're all the same? The left will look you in the eye now and say, no, we think we've found a better way. You're going to be proud of me. I went outside. I'm vaccinated, as you know, went outside, walked around without a mask and didn't feel as guilty as I normally do. Isn't that good? <laughs> you're getting there, Gail. You're baby, getting there. Baby steps, making progress. And a friend of mine said, Gail, you just need to relax. You and all the other people who are vaccinated, you are in a great position. You need to start living your lives. What is the confusion about the mask? Why are you worried about it? The bottom line is you don't have to wear a mask inside. You don't have to wear a mask outside if you're vaccinated. And the people that aren't vaccinated should still be wearing their mask. Is it as simple as that? It doesn't seem so. 
It really is, Gail. I mean, I think the, the, the confusion that people had is that when the CDC made the announcement that people who are vaccinated can really feel safe because of the extraordinary degree of effectiveness of the vaccines, whether you're outdoors or indoors, somehow that got interpreted as saying, well, masks, forget masks. We don't need to wear masks, which is not the case because the recommendations for people who are not vaccinated have not changed. They really remain the same, particularly the issue of wearing masks when indoors. Masks are of minimal effectiveness at best. And this has become a religious, religious and political belief for the people that are so devoted to them. It's it's good to be able to say that now after thinking it, feeling it suggesting it for a long time but now that we're getting out of the mask craze phase we're not done yet but i think it's it's time for us to all just take a moment to say they did not work the way we were told they worked. now they're going to play games with this and they'll say oh but you know look at the mask is if if it saves just one life it's worth it that's okay well that's not the same thing as it's effective right a vaccine that works 90 percent of the time to protect protect you from a vaccination uh, is or or rather that is 90 percent effective or 95 percent effective. That deserves the E word, something that makes it two percent less likely that you'll get covid or that provides you, you know, one percent protection. That's a waste of time. And when you look at mask mandates by the actual numbers, they did not work. Why is this so impossible for so many people to understand you're not actually being hit by droplets you know the droplets coming out of the mouth the droplets no as we understand the virus travels in the air freely at submicroscopic level and when you're in when you're in a room with somebody and you're breathing in the air that they're breathing out all the time and that virus those virus particles calling them particles makes it sound like they're a lot bigger than they are but uh, they are, are in the air moving around the air that flow that you're taking into your mask above your mask below your mask is obviously more than enough for you to have exposure to it so you know you sit here and you say why why don't people understand this does not you know if i sent you into a, a room for example and you you know we, we had had mustard gas released in there and you put a cloth mask over your face, you're still going to be coughing a lot. It's still getting into your lungs. You're still breathing that stuff in. But they uh, they still cling. They cling to the mask. They cling to it. They aren't willing to uh, just deal with the reality that they're not as smart as they think they are. And they're very complacent and, and willing to comply. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Gail, Gail King here is just saying that she feels guilty when she she's vaccinated, but she feels guilty when she's outside of the mask. Guilty. This is uh, this has taken on a religious significance for people. And I think a lot of them have gotten very used to and they're they're very pleased with themselves uh, for their mask wearing. Look at me. I get to do something. It's like the people that care so much about climate change. They're not going to change their their lives or their habits, but they love telling you. How important it is to combat climate change. Love telling you that. Very important to them to, to have you hear that. But I'm not going to do anything about it. This isn't over. Buck, why are you talking about this? Buck, why are you still on this fight? And you know that I'm, this is a point of, of particular sensitivity for me because I had to live with this in New York. 
And and it wasn't just that it was annoying and stupid and I could see that people weren't thinking for themselves and weren't being reasonable or rational about the whole mask mania at all, which is all of that is true and that's very annoying. But I, I also see that my fellow Americans, and this is the part that I find really disquieting, my fellow Americans, millions and millions of them, can be brainwashed with utter stupidity and turn on their fellow Americans because people who are supposed experts tell them to. And when those experts look like morons, when those experts are wrong, when they say things that are contradictory, that don't make sense, those who have who are susceptible to the brainwashing just keep going along with it. Our high priest Fauci never makes a mistake. Fauci gets it right every time. He knows what he's doing. Why won't you listen to Saint Fauci? Well, because he's a mediocrity and a bit of an idiot. That's why. What was the upside of all of this? Look at countries. Look at large countries similar to us around the world. Uh, and, and tell me, why is it that we were led to believe that this was all a function of Trump denying the science? Really? Is what's happening in India right now Trump's fault? Is the fact that most major European countries had about the same or worse death rates from COVID than we did Trump's fault? No, they lied to you a lot. And the people who were lying to you were smug and condescending about it. And they're not done. This is the part that I have to say, because I know we're all starting to breathe a little freer. Literally, they're not done. I'm an absolute carnivore. You know that I love high quality meat and I cook it on the weekends. It's something I look forward to. I make sure I have all the right ingredients. I get all my herbs together, my seasoning and everything. But if you don't have the right protein, you don't have the right meat, chicken, pork, fish. doesn't matter how good you are in the kitchen. So I want you to have the best stuff you can get. And then you'll have an amazing meal for you and your family with Moink. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct to your door. And they help family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. So you're also doing something that you really believe in here while you're eating the most delicious pork, chicken. I mean, I made the whole rotisserie chicken from Moink. It's the best chicken I've ever made. I had the ribeye recently. I put some thyme in there, a little bit of butter to baste and finish it at the end after I got a perfect sear. This was the most perfectly marbled meat I've ever had. You will love Moink, and it gets delivered right to your door. It's so convenient. You just take it right out, put it in the freezer, and then when you want it, you're going to have top quality beef, chicken, pork, the bacon, it's funny. Somebody asked me, how'd you like the Moink bacon? Because I was telling them about my box. And I said, well, uh, I liked it so much that I can't even really remember it because I ate it in like four days. The whole thing of bacon, just me. It was so good. Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash buck right now. And listeners to this show get free bacon for a year. That's right. One year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time only. M-O-I-N-K box.com slash buck. That's moinkbox.com slash buck. I'm telling you, as I talk to you about it, I can hear that bacon sizzling. I can hear that sear on the ribeye again. 
This is the meat that I want to make and eat. Moinkbox.com slash buck. That's M-O-I-N-K box.com slash buck. Have it sent to your door. Trust me. Are there any discussions within the administration about whether you have to require proof of vaccination um, or some sort of vaccine passport for travel? Just because I think there are a lot of anxieties about traveling on airplanes. Well, I believe that air, airlines are going to do that on their own. As I mentioned, there is no plans right now for the federal central government to be making any mandates about the requirement for vaccine proof. But there's no doubt in my mind or, or in many of my public health colleagues that we're already starting to see steps in that direction where independent entities will likely be requiring proof of vaccination before you can either get on a plane or step into a university campus. You may be done with Fauci, my friends, but the Fauci is not done with you. Now, he doesn't have the authority per se, the legal authority to mandate vaccine passports. And the Biden administration is not yet saying they will try to mandate it even at the federal level. But they're going to be pretty happy with the people who do. You're going to be wearing masks on planes for the rest of this year and perhaps for years to come because of the idiots who sit around saying Fauci's really smart. Fauci really got it all right. He knew everything we needed to do. I'm so glad I Lysoled my groceries because Fauci said so. He did it himself. Don't ever forget this little moron, the little lab coat tyrant Smurf himself, the Fouch. He was he was a wash your hands every five minutes and lice all your groceries guy back in the day. Uh, what what a a pure um, uh, just a just an absurdity this guy is. But vaccine passports, you think they're not coming because the Biden administration isn't demanding them. Oh, they're going to happen in some places. And what everyone has to remember is that even if you and, and I'm asked too, Buck, why why are you why are you pro vaccine? Why are you uh, saying you're, you're getting you're getting the vaccine? And I just tell you, because I'm trying to maneuver around the crazy blue state Fauci worshiping insanity. And I know what they're going to do here. Uh, they're going to leave it to the right now. They're trying to cajole. They're trying to. Trying to convince the private sector behind the scenes. Hey, you know, probably be good if you guys got some proof of vaccination stuff going. They want to see it rolled out in some places and then the government will swoop in and say, you know what? This is good. We back this. Let's do more of this in some other places too. incrementalism, folks. It's what the left does. It's what they know. This is their plan. Fauci's saying, oh, it'll just happen in the private sector. You'll notice he he never says, I have concerns about privacy. I have concerns about the president. No, Fauci doesn't give a crap about your privacy, your rights. Obviously, the little tyrant was gleeful. You know, he was he was out there on the cover of magazines and trying to throw a pitch from the pitcher's mound to home plate and getting it to go about three feet in the wrong direction. He loved it. He was having a great time. You think he wants all that to end? The guy was like our unelected healthcare emperor for a while. And yet there's been no real repudiation of him. People haven't 
woken up. You get woke about Fauci. This guy's a little a little health policy fascist. It's been awful. So when he says, yeah, you know, like I think there may be, you know, private sector. There may be planes that require you, you know, airlines require you to. It's probably going to happen. And remember the talk of booster shots. This is one area where and I, I know we all just want to be done with this, but you'll notice there's very little in the way of answers. You know, I'm immune, right? I'm immune, but I'm I'm not somebody who has gotten the shot yet because my immunity lasts for at least another month. And I've seen studies that suggest it'll last for many months beyond that. And who knows? I mean, it could be it could be permanent against at least the strain of covid that I had. So why should I get the shot? How long will the immunity from the shot last? If natural immunity only gives you antibodies and protection for a few months, how long is the shot supposed to work for? They don't know. They do not know. But they just want everyone to get it. Get it. Get the shot. Shut up. Get the shot. That's their that's the messaging campaign. Shut up and get it. Don't don't ask any questions about it. You say, OK, well, I understand for as I've told you all along, seniors who are at high risk. Uh, I, I think I think get the shot. I mean, I, I my own family members who are who are senior citizens. I've they've gotten the shot. I encourage them all to get the shot. Every senior listening to this, I think it is of my opinion that it is in your interest to get one of the vaccination shots. If you're 25, 30, 35 years old and you've already had covid, you're still supposed to get this. Really? When are the boosters going to come out? This is what I'm this is what I'm trying to set you up for, because I don't want us to lower our guard against this tyranny and then all of a sudden go, wait, wait a second. I thought we were done. I thought we were all friends. I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest. You know, with the, we're done with the COVID, right? Why are they booster shots? I don't want a booster. Sh- yeah, yeah. That could very well come back. That's, that's what I want to avoid. I, I at least don't want that to be some kind of a surprise, right? That's that's important because they'll get us. Um, uh, they'll get us, you know. They'll sneak up on us somehow. So then there's Pelosi letting you know that while there are plenty of places on Capitol Hill where you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated, but there are plenty of places where there are people intermingling without masks not on the House floor. You got to put that mask on on the House floor because Nancy says so. Play 10. I mean, we could come to a place where we say if you don't want to wear a mask and you don't want to, if you're not vaccinated, don't even come to the floor. We have facilities up above in the in the gallery where people can come to vote. We don't want to deter anybody's ability to um, exercise their constitutional duties. Not allowed on the floor. Yeah, you can vote from somewhere else. Yeah, this is what Pelosi's saying. You think these little tyrants are, are sick and tired of the power they have? Are you, they're addicted to it. They love it. They don't want to give this up. You know what the problem is here? We, we haven't adjusted realistic risk parameters enough so that people understand that the reality here is that if you've been vaccinated and you're a believer in the science of the vaccines... You should be fine. You shouldn't worry about what anyone else is doing when it comes to COVID. Because the chance of you getting it from any one person is so, so small. But no, it's 
It's you have people that walk around who are vaccinated, double masking outside still. You say, what's it like to be a crazy person? That's the question I want to ask them. With Pelosi, though, my favorite thing is power. That's all Nancy cares about. I mean, really think about it. She's almost 80. She's super rich. She's gotten away with being a total left-wing hack her whole career. She doesn't stand for anything good or principled. So what, what really gets Nancy Pelosi fired up in the morning? Uh, well, getting her hair done, as you know, even when everyone else can't because of the COVID lockdowns, and uh, wielding power like some monarch, at least getting as close to it as she possibly can, banning other members of the House of Representatives, duly elected, uh, from their full access to their duties because she is concerned about this this health stuff. Uh, and here's Nancy just even saying more about it. Play 11. What is this, the honor system? The honor system as to whether somebody has been vaccinated? Do you want them breathing in your face on the strength of their honor? So let, let's just see. Um, let's just see. And when, again, we have this is about science and governance. And science and governance, we have a responsibility to make sure that the House of the Representatives chamber is not a Petri dish for the, uh, because of the selfishness of some not to be vaccinated. Uh, she's a loon. She really is. But she's illuminating an argument here that's, that's really good for everyone to know and to hear. Uh, and that is, and the argument here is, hold on a second. So the honor system, you know, just trusting that people aren't trying to cheat the system because they can probably get away with it pretty easily. The honor system is not something you can go on when it really counts or is important. Oh, is that kind of like voter ID, Nancy? You know, why would anyone cheat? Why would anyone break the law when it comes to voting? Can't we just trust everybody? Can't we just uh, allow them to tell us that they are who they say they're? Why do we need voter ID? No one's going to cheat. Why do we need uh, vaccine passports? No one's going to lie about it, Nancy. Well, why do you need proof? Oh, okay. So it's just whatever they want. There's, there's no consistency, no, no principle here. And, and remember, that is actually, and I, I think I have to amend that statement. That is, the principle is they get what they want. What do they want? What are the emotional and psychological needs of libs? Whatever the answer to that question is, that's the right thing. There's nothing else. There's no mutually agreed upon ground. There's no uh, area of intellectual commonality on it. No, no, no. What do they want? Like, like a child throwing a tantrum in a sandbox. Whatever they decide they need in that moment is the only thing that matters. And the problem we have now is that they often get it because they have acquired so much power. This was an all-out attempted coup. Mike Pence was taken out of the Senate chamber something like 60 seconds before uh, these terrorists and insurrectionists got into the Senate chamber. 60 seconds could have meant potentially the difference between what we have right now and a martial state. And we don't want to acknowledge that that's how close we got, but that is how close we got. We think of coups as something that happens in, quote unquote, banana republics or in the developing or, quote unquote, third world. And it happened here. No, it really didn't. There was not a coup. And for her to continue to say this 
just crosses over in, into into malicious recklessness. We've seen the people who are inside the Capitol building. What was the plan? A coup has to has to have a plan. Were they going to install QAnon shaman as the de facto emperor and overlord of the United States? They were unarmed. What do you think? What, what AOC do you think they were going to do when it came time for Capitol Hill police to say you're leaving? And they said, no, we are the government now. Men with guns would have dragged them out. If they had continued to fight against them, men with guns would have hit them with batons and, if necessary, would have shot them. That is what would have happened. And we know this because the only person who was shot, the only person shot during the so-called coup was an entirely unarmed female protester. Probably weighed about 130 pounds. They, no, one, no one tried to subdue her. No one wanted to use a, a taser on her. No one even told her, stop or I'll shoot. Just pulled out a gun, shot her in the neck. Capitol Police says that this was a lawful use of force. Could you imagine what would happen if a BLM protester who was, oh, you know, in the act of trying to burn down a federal courthouse in Portland or burn a, a historic 150-year-old church right next to the White House, if a BLM protester was just shot in the neck? No, with, with no real explanation other than, oh, you know, they were, they, were pro, they, were, they were rioting. I'm sorry, rioter, I should have said. A BLM rioter shot in the neck. It would have been mayhem. There would have been more riots, of course, all over the country in response to it, and the media would be justifying it. But, but coming back to this notion of a coup, this is a deeply dishonest thing, and that's why you know I, I wrote about this yesterday on BuckSaxon.com. Please check out the beast. The January 6th commission would be a show trial. It would be a show trial. And that's something that I, I absolutely know. And beyond that, um, beyond that, it's just so dishonest to see what's going on here because they're using words to describe this that no honest, no honest person could look at this and say, you know what? Yeah, it's, it's true. This was an effort to overthrow the United States government. What, what was QAnon Shaman and the others, you know, the, the fanny pack wearing, you know, uh, d- tourist looking MAGA rioters? Were, were, were they going to take on the National Guard? What, what, what was really the plan here? But the overheated rhetoric. Oh, Trump tried to steal the election in 2016 with Russia because someone who was Russian said they had information on Hillary. I mean, that's that's quite a, a creative leap, isn't it? Trump worked with the Kremlin. But you see, they take a tiny just like all the great lies of history, just like all the all the most vile propagandists. They they take a just the smallest grain of truth and then inflate it to be a boulder. And then they say, see, this is what's going on here. Or you can listen to me or you can listen to. Joe Scarborough, who I will tell you, I now I now judge the intelligence of people that still watch Joe Scarborough, people that that watch Joe Scarborough on TV. I think less of their intelligence. 
I just and I don't say that about many people like you can watch Maddow and be a smart leftist and you're just getting propaganda. But but at least you're getting, you know, Maddow is 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 very bright. She's wrong on everything, but she is smart, Uh, dishonest, but smart. Joe Scarborough is just a a thuggish buffoon. And yet here he is. Play one. This is not about Joe Biden. This stopped being about Joe Biden a long time ago. This is about you. This is about you playing in to what every one of our enemies wants you to play into. That American democracy is not worth being trusted. That American democracy is no different than Russia. If you believe that... (laughs) I will say to you what many of you said in the 1960s. America, love it or leave it. If you don't have respect in American democracy anymore, if you don't respect Madisonian checks and balances, if your guy doesn't win, if that's the new rules of engagement for this great republic, then just leave our country. Because you're unworthy of it. And there are millions of immigrants who will come here and raise their right hand and buy into the creed and believe that we are exceptional, that believe American democracy is the greatest government on the face of the earth. And they will do it proudly. They will salute the flag proudly. And most importantly, they will fight. (laughs) What a moron. He really is. Remember how Mitch McConnell said there's no doubt, none, that President Trump uh, inspired uh, and encouraged this insurrection? There is no good reason, none, for a member of Congress to oppose a bipartisan commission to investigate an attack on the Congress, attack on American democracy. Uh, If it makes your party look bad because your party's implicated in what happened, that's too bad. And if you can't put country over party, as John McCain liked to to say, uh, in a situation like this, uh, what that means is there are a lot of people walking around the Congress who like to project the image of patriotic Boy Scouts who are defining themselves as anti-American by opposing this inquiry. Journalist, quote unquote, Harwood here of, of CNN. He's a journalist. There's no good reason to oppose the. January 6th commission. That's funny because I can think of like a lot of good reasons to oppose it. And I want to pose some of those to my friend Ryan Gerdusky, who is with us now. He's a political consultant and author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created a National Populist Revolution. Mr. Ryan, how are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me. So I, I saw 35 votes from the Republican side here going for a January 6th commission. I just are are they are they dumb or is it just because they think this will help those Republicans think it'll help them get reelected? I I feel like the the Democrats never have this problem of the people on their side acting like they want their party to lose. Yeah, no, it's not because of reelection. I mean, there are a handful of those people. Well, first of all, remember that all the seats are going to change. So people like John Kacko, who represents a Democrat, is a Republican in a Democrat district in upstate New York. He will most likely not see his House seat even be there anymore. Adam Kinzinger will probably lose his House seat. So, no, it's not for a matter of re-election. And then for the most of the 35, I would say probably 30, 
32 of the 35 represent overwhelmingly Republican districts. So, I mean, some people like Young Kim have a lot more to lose, who represents a uh, swing district that Biden won by 10 points in Southern California, and she voted against it. Then somebody like, you know, uh, Congressman Rice represents a Republican plus 20 district in South Carolina. Um, no, this is a matter of the fact that they that that they think that this is the brave thing to do. Um, they think that it's brave to sit there and, and, and go along with the media narrative. And it's idiotic. Uh, it's completely idiotic. And this is a complete sham and a complete hoax. And I, I, I spoke to a reporter yesterday, a Hill reporter, who told me that it's probably not has no chance of close to no chance of going anywhere in the Senate. Right. That's the next phase. Now, the House obviously already got this through and got some, as I mentioned, 35 Republicans to go with it. But who, who are the who are the people that are are in the mix, so to speak, in the Senate as of right now, who you could go one way or the other, Ryan, but look like they may they may realize that this this will just turn into the, you know, the worst members of Congress giving long, annoying speeches about the attack on our democracy, which, as I like to point out to people, what does that even mean? You know, it, right. it, it, notice that if, if it were if it were an attack that involved, you know, cops that were actually killed, which they said, which ended up not being true. You know, you would use specifics if you could. But instead, what they do is they use this very amorphous concept of attacking our system itself. Well, it's the coalition of the usual suspects. It's Langford from Oklahoma, Sass from Nebraska, Romney from Utah, Murkowski from from uh, Alaska. Um, it's the same group that is the squish that votes against everything the Republicans want to do. Um, and then, I mean, even Susan Collins said she's not interested. So, uh, you know, without Susan, I have a hard time seeing that Tillis will do it in North Carolina. He probably won't go along with it. Maybe Toomey, um, and maybe uh, uh, the senator from Louisiana, not John Kennedy, he would never do this, but the other one, uh, Bill Cassidy. So maybe Bill Cassidy, maybe maybe Pat Toomey, uh, and then the other ones to look out for are Sass, Langford, Romney, um, and Murkowski. Can I, can I like offer up in some way helping? Can, can we get a group together to primary Ben Sass? Can, can we get rid of this guy, Ryan? Oh Is God. it possible? You know, the last thing that Phyllis Schlafly ever did in her life was warn people against Ben Sass. She said, please don't vote for Ben Sass in Nebraska. And she, I mean, Phyllis was right about many things throughout her entire life. But boy, she nailed it on Ben Sass before she passed away. You know, I, I used to hear years ago from some people when I was still working at, at The Blaze and, and some of the folks that were in that, that orbit, they were... They were also warning about him. Watch out for that guy. But you know now, now he's he's kind of gotten into that that role in the GOP of the guy who only has stern words, you know, uh, for his own side, and somehow finds that strange new respect that lasts a day from the New York Times editorial page. You know, I, I'll tell you a really funny story. I I'm not the biggest fan of Josh Hawley. I think that I have a lot of frustrations with him. As a senator, and another senator, another Republican senator reached out to me. This isn't that long ago, and said to me, um, "You know, why, why, why would you oppose Josh Hawley? I mean, he seems like he'd be right up your alley." And we're having a whole conversation about it. And I was like, "You know, there's sometimes I feel like he might be a fraud." And uh, the senator said to me, and the Republican senator goes, "He's not a fraud, but man, Ben Sass is." <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I like that. <laughs> that. That definitely nails it. It's true. Yeah, it is. It's so true. Um, so yeah, so that is, um, so yeah, so yeah, Ben Sass is just one of the worst Republicans in existence. There is, I mean, Langford as well. Langford is from Oklahoma. He should be voting for everything Republicans possibly want. He votes against us, uh, you know, across the board all the time. Um, Romney is Romney, you know, but the good thing about Romney is he's a man of a particular age and he's probably not going to be there for much longer. Um, Murkowski is kind of been safe in Alaska, because they changed the election law, but Sass and Langford, of all people, need to go. Ryan Gerdusky with us now. He's the author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created a National Populist Revolution. He's a political consultant. Ryan, are we starting to see, because here's my thing, the the Democrats, they've got a playbook here. The playbook under Trump was to create this Russia collusion thing, which is still, uh, people have not, I, I think, really wrapped their minds around how crazy that was how how fabricated and then also how damaging. I mean, people say, well, they didn't they didn't manage to remove Trump from office with it. And I say, yeah, but they use this to to put the administration under siege. I mean, I remember talking to young White House staffers who were worried about their legal bills and possible legal jeopardy from being you know ground up in the Mueller machine at some point. So it was very effective for Democrats, even though it was all a lie and there's been no accountability for it. And now they're doing a similar thing here with the January 6th commission. So I understand that they want to have a threat to our democracy narrative from Republicans in the background to justify all the crazy, you know, left wings, Marxist CRT stuff they want to do. Are, are, are we starting to see, though, real weakness in Biden administration numbers? Are we starting to see I know it won't be necessarily at the you know, overall approval level, but on specific issues, are, are, are they concerned about this early stage of midterm analysis and assessment? Well, look, here's the thing. They believe Democrats in this town, I'm, I'm in Washington, I've been here for a week, genuinely believe that January 6th will be the issue and QAnon will be the issue that gets them reelected in 2022. They think that every a person in this country has QAnon and January 6th at the tip of their tongue. And it, it could not be more untrue if possible. And there are already some warning signs in, you know, it, it, around us. There was the uh, Texas 6th Congressional District where, where it was a jungle primary where basically all parties run the same primary and the top two go off to a runoff. Um, Democrats didn't make the top two positions, so it's only Republicans in the runoff. Then they lost. Then there was just a ballot initiative, a major ballot initiative in Pennsylvania, I think, two days ago. Democrats lost that, which which strips the governor of some of his emergency power related to COVID. Um, there's going to be the New Jersey and Virginia governor's races. Virginia's obviously far more competitive than New Jersey is. And then there'll be the uh, California initiative to sit there and re uh, remove um, Governor Newsom. There's a lot of tea leaves. Running on QAnon on January 6th is like Republicans running on socialism. It has a very, very, very short shelf life and affects very, very, very few people. Um, and I think this is an incredibly um, bad, bad sign on there. Um, you know, gas prices are $6 a gallon. Inflation is rising across the board. Uh, we still have high levels of unemployment, uh, open border, a, a battle, a war in Israel. Uh, rising crime in every American, major American city. All these conditions don't look good for Joe Biden. 
And if he thinks that him and his party think that getting, you know, behind talking about the QAnon shaman for the next year and a half is the way to sit there and revert their 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 electoral problems, they're in they're in for it. Amazing to me to see. And we're speaking to Ryan Gurdusky, political consultant for everybody joining us. Amazing, amazing for uh, me to see, Ryan, that there are those who who like to be taken seriously in public life. Who who refer to this as what happened on January 6th as an insurrection and will say things like this was a a coup to overthrow the United States government. You brought up you know, QAnon shaman. We've all seen some of the video. And I would note that I've spoken to members of Congress about it as recently as this week. Capitol Hill police won't release more footage from inside the Capitol. There's more, there's a lot more video footage. They don't want to release it because I think what it will show is. Look, a bunch of buffoons, granted, but walking around taking photos and thinking that they're, you know, grabbing souvenirs. They're stealing stuff, which is not good. But that's it. And to call this a coup, I mean, I, you know, I, I used to work in the CIA. I'm somebody who really finds a history of of you know counter revolutions and uh, revolutions and espionage to be something that everybody should know. Uh, this is not a coup, right? I mean, when when the Russians sent the Spetsnaz in to assassinate everybody in the presidential palace in Afghanistan, basically, to take everybody out. It was at the, you know, and they, they went in there with, with, with machine guns. That's a coup. This is not a coup. Yeah, AOC was mentioning that uh, we were just, you know, minutes away from getting martial law in America. And uh, I don't know who she thought. It was a QAnon shaman going to declare martial law or, or a bunch of truckers or grandmas. It's It's absurd. And... And to, I mean, yes, they all did something wrong, but to the level that these people are being treated and to the height that this is going to be lived up to, no one out, and I was trying to explain this today, uh, yesterday rather, to, to a, a, a Democrat that I know in, in D.C., no one outside of the Beltway ever thinks about January 6th, ever. No one. It affects nobody. No one thinks about this. No one cares about this. This is not something that they're going to be sitting there and be mobilized by. And they genuinely do not believe that. They think that everyone on the tip of their tongues is thinking about January 6th over and over and over. They think it's as big of a deal as 9-11 is and that they can soak this for as much as it's worth. And I, I can't overemphasize that they're wrong. I mean, people have just moved on past this completely. Um, and, you know, it's and right now I think that it's up for Republicans to create an alternative legislative agenda, an aggressive legislative agenda. Um, because, I mean, the budget's coming up next week, which will be the latest budget in the history of the United States. And then the Republican budget will be offered soon after that. And, um, you know, I, at least the Republicans need to start doing messaging bills. There are so many giant crowns on the floor, issues that people actually care about, just waiting to be picked up. And it's amazing how many refuse to even look at them. Ryan Gurdusky, everybody. We'll have him back soon. Ryan, thanks so much uh, for joining thanks. us. And check out Ryan's book. How the Elites Created a National Populist Revolution.